Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. But as we mentioned at the end of Monday's Three Martini Lunch, um, what we said then is still true as of now uh, on Tuesday, late morning as we record this. We are expecting uh, tomorrow in studio uh, to have uh, another guest here on the Three Martini Lunch. Didn't give you any clues yesterday. I think my clue today, Jim, and you're welcome to add any clues you want as well, of course. Um, This is a currently in office, so an incumbent statewide elected official who will be on the ballot again this year. That narrows it down a little bit, right? I was going to say, Greg, the surname of our guest appears in the movie Naked Gun Two and a Half. (laughs) But it's not Simpson, (laughs) nor is it Drebin. Or anything like that. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there, and we'll see if anybody can uh, connect the dots on that one. No, but it's going to be a really good discussion about where things uh, stand in this midterm election year. We'll talk about um, uh, you know, the appraisal of the Biden administration and many other things. It'll be a wide-ranging discussion. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Uh, Jim, I know you're more excited about that news, that we're going to have a special guest tomorrow, than the news you heard this morning that whenever Tom Brady uh, officially ends uh, his NFL career, he's going to immediately become the lead analyst for Fox Sports. Now that uh, Buck and Aikman are out of there, it's going to be Kevin Burkhart and Tom Brady. And my only fear is that Fox eventually gets the AFC contract. So then when the Jets in the later years of the Zach Wilson era are racking up AFC championships, you're going to have to listen to Tom Brady describe it all. Yeah, I can almost, you know, that that touchdown pass against the Jets reminds me of the one that I threw back in 2001 and 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. Um, What's more is I was like, okay, well, at least it's Fox. They have the NFC games. So the NFL's deals with Fox, CBS, and NBC expire after this season, and the deal with ESPN expires. Uh, I guess technically it's, uh, it's similar. So basically, the next round of negotiations uh, could have anybody on, on any network on any conference. And there's been talk about uh, allowing the, the that maybe it won't be conference based. That it won't be one network gets one, most of the games on Sunday in one conference, and the other network gets the other. Also, if you've noticed, um, the current television deals with Fox and CBS allow them to kind of trade if there's a game one network really wants to the other. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes you'll see a, a Dallas-Washington game, which is in the NFC, ending up getting covered by CBS, even though they're supposed to have the ABC. So I just kind of know it's going to shake out, Greg, that I will end up having Tom Brady calling Jet <laughs> games for a really long time. I just know it's the way, it's the way life is going to shake out for me. <laughs> you just can't shake him but we'll see we'll see how that goes but whether you're getting ready for you know summer or football season or you're really just going to tailgate for tomorrow's edition of the three martini lunch the best thing you can do is grill out we've got our grill at the Columbus house ready to go uh we've already done some grilling on it uh, mrs Columbus always doing a fabulous job and there's nothing better to throw on that grill 
than Omaha Steaks. Spring is here, so let Omaha Steaks make it easy to stock up on all your grilling favorites. Visit omahasteaks.com and enter Martini into the search bar and order the Spring Grill Pack today. I love grilling out Omaha Steaks. They're always tender. They're juicy. I love their burgers. We just had burgers that uh, uh, were in the freezer for a while, and they still were absolutely just as good as the first day that we got them. And right now with this uh, Spring Grill package, uh, you'll save over 50% when you use our code there. Uh, Plus, you'll get four Omaha Steaks burgers and four chicken breasts free with your order. The package has it all from the butcher cut filet mignon to the delicious caramel apple tartlets. And you can substitute different items in the package if you prefer other things. So it really is up to you. Omaha Steaks delivers perfection in every single bite, every single time. And back each order with their 100% satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, if you're not totally satisfied, you're either going to get a replacement or your money back. Your choice. But you're not going to want that because it's so delicious. Visit omahasteaks.com, type the keyword martini in the search bar, and order today. Again, visit omahasteaks.com, keyword martini, and order the spring grill pack today. And don't forget, you'll get four Omaha Steak burgers and four chicken breasts free. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword martini. All right, Jim, we're making progress on the protecting the Supreme Court justices front, and that is our good martini. Uh, Part of it has to do with the federal government, and part of it has to do with Governor Glenn Youngkin. On the federal front, the Senate on Monday passing bipartisan legislation, unanimously in fact, that would extend security protections to immediate family members of Supreme Court justices amid heightened tensions over the forthcoming abortion ruling. The bill was introduced by uh, Delaware Democrat Chris Coons and uh, Texas Republican John Cornyn. Coons doesn't vote right, but he is still rational (laughs) on a lot of different things and at least can understand the need here. Uh, And it would... uh, provide security similar to protections for family members of certain executive and legislative branch officials. Meanwhile, in terms of the justices that live in the Commonwealth of Virginia, Governor Glenn Youngkin is making sure that those folks are protected. He tweeted out today, we have been coordinating with Fairfax County Police as well as the Virginia State Police and federal authorities to ensure that there is not violence. Virginia State Police were closely monitoring, fully coordinated with Fairfax County near the protests, he says. And Youngkin goes on to tweet, Virginia State Police will assist federal and local law enforcement as needed to ensure the safety of our citizens, including Supreme Court justices who call Virginia home. So, Jim, we still can't get the Biden administration to just tell people to stay away from these homes. Uh, We did get a stronger response from Saki yesterday saying, you know, it was wrong for people to harass parishioners of Catholic churches. But I don't know why they can't just say, do your protests in public and leave it at that. But at least Glenn Youngkin and the United States Senate taking steps to make sure there's no tragedy coming up here. Yeah. You know, I was just think about this, Greg, that, you know, it wasn't that long ago when you ran for governor, you promised security and justice. And now you have to promise security for justices, which is not a sign of things getting better. Um, the fact that we have not seen... Uh, violence towards the houses of the justices is a good sign, I guess, for now. Um, it, my, my fee, if it was going to happen, you, you think probably that the initial burst of, of uh, angry activism might have been the environment in which it would take hold. So I was feeling momentarily reassured for a while, but then I suddenly realized, you know, um, there was no particular impetus for the former Bernie Sanders volunteer who nearly shot up the 
uh, House Republicans at the softball field a few years ago. So we're now in a situation where these justices are probably going to need personal security, if not for the rest of their lives, and certainly for the foreseeable future. And it wasn't that long ago that uh, you could be a uh, uh, Supreme Court justice and live relatively anonymously and not do that. In fact, back in 1996, I think it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a victim of a purse snatching. And I, I looked up before I got on the air. Uh, it was just a couple of years ago. Uh, I'm going to say it was, okay, 2012. So, you know, about a decade ago, Stephen Breyer was in a vacation home in the Caribbean island of ne Nevis, Nevis. I want to say Nevis Island in honor of Revis Island. But anyway, a <laughs> uh, man armed with a machete robbed them and got about $1,000 from an intruder. So, uh, you know, up until you know, it wasn't that long ago, Supreme Court justices didn't have to walk around with bodyguards, didn't have to walk around with something akin to the U.S. Secret Service or something like that. Unfortunately, the world we live in, um, that may be necessary. And I, I, I shudder to think, you know, the average pro, couple of people, one or two people objected to what I'd said yesterday. Look, the average pro-choice American is not a um, aspiring mass murderer or, or maniac or anything like that. The problem is we live in an era in which certain voices in our political environment uh, so demonize the opposition that they make it make, they, they very easily can make the average uh, uh, person who's got a screw loose believe that this is justified, that you are doing the right thing. Now, those of us in the pro-life movement or those of us who are pro-life didn't believe that it was okay to bomb abortion clinics, didn't believe that Eric Rudolph was a hero or a good guy or anything like that. And you'd like to think everybody on the uh, pro-choice side of the spectrum would feel the same way. You look on social media, you can find, you know, generally not big names, generally not, you know, huge folks, but the occasional folks like that Georgetown professor who said, well, look, the mob is right when I agree with them, <laughs> you know, and other justifications like that. Do any of these people deliberately want something bad to happen to one of the justices? I don't think so. I hope not. But you can't help but notice that if there, God forbid, there was some sort of act of violence that killed or incapacitated a Supreme Court justice, that Joe Biden would appoint the replacement. So we've kind of created this perverse incentive that if God forbids, you know, that, that you know, if something happens to a Supreme Court justice, that you know, the the party in power gets to replace them. As I mentioned yesterday, the the, the Pelican brief thing. So. Kudos to Governor uh, uh, Governor Youngkin. It's sad that this is necessary. I'd like to think that the anger, um, or at least the demonstrations in front of their houses, are going to die down over time. But you never know what kind of you know lone lunatic might decide that this is their moment to be a hero, and recognize that certain pro-choicers will indeed celebrate the deaths of Supreme Court justices just because they issued a decision that they don't like. Yeah, a couple thoughts coming to mind here. First of all, I think the big takeaway from the Pelican brief was to alert America that all print reporters look like Denzel Washington and Julia Roberts. <laughs> so that was a that was a big takeaway. Also, I mean, you're not going to have necessarily many prominent people actually calling for violence. But when they start calling for the delegitimization or saying that the court is no longer legitimate, um, obviously the person who would then perpetrate violence based on that is ultimately responsible. But I would argue that that rhetoric contributes to an atmosphere where something like that could happen. But uh, I don't want to necessarily go too far down that road. And thirdly, I believe it is Nevis. Uh, Alexander Hamilton was born there, so I assume uh, someone who loves Hamilton if not anybody else, it'll be my wife uh, who uh, who explains exactly how to pronounce that because I'm not sure, but I think it's Nevis. But I understand the the desire to be uh, Revis Island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's going to be uh, Sauce Island soon, so that's that's the that's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. E easier to you know, e a lot of islands that are formed in the Caribbean <laughs> every now and then, every couple of years it seems. 
And in East Rutherford. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy. All right, on to our next great sponsor today, and that is Bambi, which helps you make sense of your HR challenges. Uh, look, you run a business, but who's running your uh, HR? If the answer is I'll figure it out or no one, remember that one employee complaint can turn your world upside down. And it can devastate your business. But HR is not just about avoiding risk, because as a business leader, you want to do right by the people that you employ and count on to get the job done. And that's why you need Bambi. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses like yours. So you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. First, Bambi's HR Autopilot automates your core policies, workplace training, and employee feedback. Then your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance, available by phone, email, or real-time chat. An in-house HR manager can cost up to $80,000 a year, but with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just $99 a month. No hidden fees, and you can cancel anytime. Look, this could not be simpler. You need the HR help. You definitely want to be compliant. You want to make sure that uh, you're taking care of your employees. And it's probably not the reason you started your business. So let the experts do it and do it at a fraction of the cost it would take to actually hire someone to do that for you full time. Bambi has received thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot and their customers are four times less likely to have a claim filed against them. Remember that. Uh, that'll save you some money, too. You run your business. Let Bambi run your HR. Go to Bambi.com slash martini right now for your free HR audit. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash martini. Bambi.com slash martini. All right, Jim, for our bad martini today, it's a story that's been kind of looming out there for a long time. You wrote about it at length, I believe, yesterday. And that's the issue of not only the food shortage, but specifically the baby formula shortage. And uh, for any new parents out there, you know how significant uh, that is if you're using formula. And so uh, the shelves are getting emptier and emptier. Uh, you pointed out yesterday in the morning, Joel, Jim, that... Um, Part of this is due to a recall from uh, Abbott Labs uh, at a facility in Michigan where they had to shut some things down. But you also point out that problems were already happening before that due to the supply chain. You can't just shut off the economy and flip a switch and turn it back on. And so there remain hiccups in that way as well. Uh, so as you've dug into this more and more, how big is this problem and how hard is it going to be to fix it? First of all, it's a huge problem, Greg. Um, and I think one of the, this is one of those topics where if you have an infant, this has probably been front and center in your mind for several months now. Uh, those of us without small children, we're probably only hearing about it now, but it's a huge deal. Up to right now, I believe 40% of store shelves are empty across the country and in a whole bunch of states, it's well above 50%. <clears throat> now, the first place people point to is the Abbott recall. They had... Uh, had a facility in which four uh, consumer complaints about two types of bacteria. They checked out the production facility. They didn't find it on the production lines, but they did find that bacteria in other parts of the uh, facility. Now they said that these parts of the facility are separate from where they actually make the baby formula, but as a precaution, they recalled everything that was made up until uh, a certain, after a certain date, April 1st, I believe it was. And if you need, you can look online, if you're worried, if you purchased it, if you're worried about whether you're in that, uh, that group that's been recalled, you can go online, find the, the unit numbers and, and check that out. But one of the things that's strange, yes, Abbott is a very big maker of it, but the country has other ones. And so there's kind of this strange question of like, all right, so why did this one recall 
create a problem in which you've got, you know, between 40 and 50% of infants formula sold out in 26 states. Um, so one of the things I noticed and I, you know, do my digging into this, yes, it's a supply chain issue and it's not just remember the supply of the formula, it's also the packaging, it's the, the, uh, the cardboard, it's the plastic, it's everything you put it into to bring it to the stores. And that has complicated things a certain amount. But there's also something I was fascinated to find is that apparently baby formula is one of the most stolen items from retail stores. Obviously, consumer electronics and stuff like that is still very popular, uh, but apparently it's one of the highest ones. And, uh, you know, apparently it's not, you might be thinking, oh my God, are these, you know, poor desperate parents who are so, uh, you know, desperate to get uh, baby formula, they're stealing it. You probably can find a couple of cases of that, but basically this is a large scale retail crime. This, this is organized crime, not necessarily the mafia, but basically people who take it, steal it, resell it somewhere else. And uh, this has happened on a very large scale. And it's, you know, even, you know, you look at local reports, you can find 33,000 stolen from a store in California, 11,000 stolen from giant grocery stores in Pennsylvania. You know, this is, you know, is this cause, the cause of the shortage? No, but it certainly doesn't help any when you're seeing this being stolen so frequently. So it's a recall problem, but it's also a supply chain problem. It's also an inflation problem and it's a crime problem. But my colleague, Dominic Pino, just earlier today has this really fascinating report where he points out this is also a circumstance in which uh, government policies have made it worse because well more than half of all of the baby formula in the country is purchased by the WIC program. This is Women, Infants, Children. Uh, it's a designed to help low-income families, and it's uh, all, you know, like means very well, as many government policies that do, at least at start. But the problem is, is that when you have this, uh, this doesn't make people, this in, uh, interferes with the general price inputs, you could say. Um, this is one of those things where ordinarily the other makers of this, uh, of, of baby formula would say, oh, okay, Abbott is having a recall. There's a shortage in there. We will make more because there's going to be a huge amount of demand. Um, unfortunately, you don't have that because uh, this, you know, the USDA it, itself says WIC essentially replaces price sensitive consumers of informula, infant formula with price insensitive consumers. You basically have them being purchased in advance in large numbers by the government. And it's not, uh, you know, as, as responsive to consumer demand as you'd like it to be. It's a fascinating article. I hope everyone reads it. I think it illustrates a good portion of like, yes, because it, you look at, oh, but there's a, you know, supply chain issues. Okay, we've got supply chain issues and all kinds of stuff. This is not something that's coming over uh, being shipped through, through Shanghai. This is not something that uh, is coming through a California port. Oh, by the way, the U.S. government has effectively banned almost every European formula, arguing that it's not up to American standards, even though in a bunch of cases, European standards are actually stricter than U.S. standards. Uh, and if, by the way, they catch you sneaking European infant formula into the country, Customs and Border Protection will seize it. You know, um, they're, they're on patrol. Now, I can't help but notice, Greg, a whole bunch of European babies are drinking this stuff and we're not seeing them all <laughs> keel over. I mean, I believe the worst consequences, they can grow up European. <laughs> um, but all in all, like you know, so, like, you know, obviously, by the way, if you're a parent and you're worrying about this, talk to your doctor. Talk to um, there are various places that are trying to, you know, distribute available supplies to people. But by and large, you look at this, you're like this. This is a ban on for on European infant formula that seems perfectly safe. Uh, it's very much seems like very much a, a well, we didn't make it here, so we're not letting it in here. Um, these stringent FDA standards are, seem like a major impediment to getting in, you know, an available supply just sitting there. They could be brought over here, but they're not. Um, is it entirely government po bad government policies? But no, but each one of these exacerbates the problem. And uh, I just can't have to get the feeling this is going to be an issue. It's, you know, 
Um, it's not going to be a huge dominant issue in the midterms. But as I've heard from a whole bunch of readers in the last 24 hours, if you have an infant child, this is front and center in your mind. This is the biggest problem in your life right now. And you can't seem to get any help. And this did not start overnight. The Abbott recall certainly exacerbated it. But apparently, like back in January, you had 21% stores that were sold out. And the, the recall only kicked in in February. As Dominique Pino points out, if it was just supply chain issues, then we'd be seeing 40 to 50% of everything sold out in all of our stores because of supply chain issues. There's supply chain issues for all kinds of products. But you know, for infant formula right now is particularly bad. And it seems that expanding government subsidies for baby formula have actually ended up backfiring and making it harder to get more on the shelves. Perfect storm. Sounds like a perfect storm here of government uh, intrusion, uh, create, make the problem even worse. And then uh, the other problems, like you already mentioned, with supply chains and uh, just everything, uh, recalls the whole deal. Uh, so let's hope this can be put back together soon. I don't know what the prospects are for that. But, uh, yeah, uh, for parents in that situation, that's got to be extremely concerning. Um, I mean, that's, that's the lifeline for those babies. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And while Jen Psaki is on the slowest, longest goodbye I've ever seen from the White House press secretary job, we at least know who her replacement is. It's no surprise. It's her deputy press secretary. Uh, her name is uh, Karina Jean-Pierre. Uh, and she's getting lots of headlines now about how she's the first in a number of ways. She's the first African-American press secretary, first African-American woman press secretary, first out African-American female press secretary. The long, long list there. But what about the politics? That's uh, one of the things that's uh, that folks have been uh, digging up in uh, previous tweets. And uh, a lot of things that the left would consider anathema in terms of uh, reacting to election results seems to have been a pattern uh, with Karina Jean-Pierre. Not, of course, in 2020, but uh, from previous ones. Let's take a look, first of all, at the uh, Georgia race uh, at a point where Brian Kemp was opening back up in Georgia fairly early on in uh, 2020. Uh, Georgia and Florida were doing that. Uh, he said something to the effect that he wasn't uh, aware that asymptomatic people could pass along COVID. And so in uh, retweeting that story, Karina Jean-Pierre says, Reminder, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. Then talking about Trump in uh, 2017, quote, Trump always finds a way to take it to the lowest of lows. Not only is he a petulant dotard, but also a deplorable, illegitimate president. Then in another one, this is uh, before he actually took office, but December 2016, stolen emails, stolen drones, stolen election. Welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump. And then, of course, uh, uh, this tweet, I don't know whether, whether she's talking about Trump or uh, Stacey Abrams. She says, yes, the race was stolen. So, Jim, I assume we're just going to memory hole that since that's what the media is doing for Stacey Abrams herself. But we knew we'd get a partisan in this position. We always do. But uh, double standard here or, or what should we make of this? Uh, Greg, are you trying to make me miss Jen Psaki? <laughs> It'd be pretty She's hard. offered a lot of fodder for a lot of bad and crazy martinis. And, you know, we've joked about circling back. It only took pretty well into her tenure that I stopped calling her Jen Pisaki, an indicator that I read a lot more than I listen. And, but, you know, but this does not necessarily seem like an improvement. And, and I, you know, beyond the specific, the, the ludicrous double standard of uh, Ms. Jean-Pierre, this notion that it's okay when our side claims the election stolen and the other side was cheated and that the wrong person is serving in office and that the real voting res election results were suppressed. It's harmless when we do it. But when you do it, you're destroying democracy. Democracy dies in darkness, as the Washington Post keeps reminding us. Um, 
the you know this is all bad i also kind of wonder if part of a part of the problem i, I was talking about white house press secretaries with a couple other folks at national review recently and i i thought about there aren't a lot of democratic you know administration press secretaries that i have uh, appreciated or enjoyed or thought did a good job I think the last one i have to go back and find i really did enjoy or did feel like was doing a good job was mike mccurry back during the clinton years where he seemed to kind of have this winking acknowledgement to the you know to the assembled reporters that he knew what he was saying was often absurd and ridiculous and spinning you knew it he knew it but he had to go out and say it so he was going to go out and do it but he wasn't going to try to pretend that he actually believed the nonsense that the administration was peddling on any given day um now maybe that sort of dynamic can't work in other administrations or maybe that's kind of this late 90s relic but if the white house press secretary if you are a campaign flack if you are somebody who works on campaigns this is you know press secretary is one of the few jobs in the government you can handle and let's face it we don't spend a lot of time talking about the day-to-day -day actions or what was said by the department of commerce press secretary or something like that um you know basically government spokesmen only really get much attention when they screw up so the white house press secretary although it's something of a celebrity right the, the daily press briefings uh not every day but very often are broadcast live by the cable news networks and what you do say even if it's not live coverage there's a good chance that what you say on any given day is going to uh, end up in in the nightly news or in other news broadcasts or end up going on social media and obviously we've seen you know certain reporters who love to turn the white house press briefing into something of a performance and jen saki versus uh peter Ducey, and you know we, we've kind of turned into this you know it's, it's uh, another pundit show jen saki is really not changing her gig very much by going to msnbc <laughs> so i kind of miss the days of marlon fitzwater and i realize that's a name a whole bunch of our listeners are probably gonna have to look up that was george hw <laughs> bush's press secretary and he was very professional he was probably by the standards of 2022 boring and a lot of his answers were he saw his job as a spokesman for the government he did not see his job to be a spin doctor, to be a cable news network talking head. Uh, he did not see his job as to be combative. His job was, you know, very Joe Friday, just the facts. I'd love to go back to that. I don't think we're going to go back to that, but I think what we see both in Saki and Jean-Pierre is this increasing partisanization, campaignization, um, the degree to which the job of the White House press secretary is not just to answer questions about what the government is doing, what the White House is doing on any given day, but it is to be a get another talking head arguing that the president is awesome and everything he does is awesome and everything that the, you know, all critics are bad faith and foolish and nonsensical and aren't they out destroying America, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think it really serves the public very well but hey, this is, you know, Joe Biden seems to have no problem with it. So, you know, um, and, and we all know what an alert, awake, uh, <laughs> you know, focused, concentrating student of the ongoing event actions of the White House that he is. I miss Marlon Fitzwater. First of all, it's just a great name, Marlon Fitzwater. And secondly, I just remember him walking out there. The liberation of Kuwait has begun. Just point blank, yeah. simple. There's the news. Write it. Talk about it. See you next time. Uh, good times. Anyway, uh, Jim, looking forward to tomorrow in person. See you then. And uh, until then, have a great Tuesday.
See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They're a huge help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us for our special edition of the 3 Martini Lunch on Wednesday. The mainstream media shies away from the simple questions with hard answers that we all need to hear. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. Every day on the No Chit Chat podcast, I bring you the reality of what's going on in our government and around the country with no extra fluff. In my latest episodes, I lay out the blunt facts of what's going on in the District of Columbia, the way the media is misleading the public, and plans that political parties are making. Concise, comprehensible news is what America needs and deserves. I'm here to deliver. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.